So I speak to you in the name of the living God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Have a little m ms in my throat. <clears throat> so how many... No, I'm good. <laughs> how many of you remember um, the little rhyme maybe that you sang out in the play yard when you were a little kid that went like, Hosea and Gomer sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G, first comes love. Then comes marriage, then comes baby in the baby carriage. Do y'all remember that? Yes, y'all are going to sing along all the rest of your day. And I think maybe even some of us did the even continual like sucking his thumb, wetting his pants. Anyways, um, or some of you have also experienced these words. In the name of God, I, Hosea, take you, Gomer, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are parted by death. This is my solemn vow. A marriage is usually a joyous celebration of love, two becoming one as the beginning of life together, and one that takes great commitment. Marriage is ordained by God and illustrates his relationship with his people. Last week and today, we find ourselves reading from the Old Testament prophet Hosea. When we read the book of Hosea, we find really important and beautiful family imagery. Early on in the book, we see how the prophet used the example of marital infidelity to reveal a fundamental breach in the nation's corrupted relationship with God. Israel is condemned as a cheating spouse. Ouch. Think about it. A marriage, um, a marriage gone bad is one kind of heartache, but a rebellious child, now that's another matter altogether. This morning we learn how Hosea uses the metaphor of a parent-child relationship to demonstrate how his relationship with his children is like the one with God and Israel. You can't divorce your children regardless of how much you might want to sometimes. The parent-child relationship holds a different kind of passion. And when things go awry, a different kind of grief. This incredible imagery of family life is something that we must pay attention to because the reality is we are all children. So what happens in the years after those wedding vows and the things don't really go as planned? Maybe you have experienced a story like Bob and Stacy, or you know somebody who has. They had been married nearly 10 years before they were finally able to conceive their much-desired child. To their surprise and concern, little James arrived prematurely. 
weighing in at a tiny little four pounds. He required several weeks in the NICU's hospital incubator and lots of prayers before he could finally go home. In the years since then, his dad, Bob, often shared how his firstborn and his only child changed his life forever. Having that little life depend on him made him a better man and a better husband. And beyond that, he confesses, becoming a parent changed his relationship with God. He committed himself to being a top-notch father and James is an enduring and adorable son. Through that effort, he emerged as a spiritual leader in his church, not only for his child, but in his church and in his community. Theirs is a happy story and one that should be told because we know it, not all parent stories turn out like this. Being a parent can be great, of course. Those homemade Mother's Day cards or Father's Day cards and the presents wrapped with tiny little fingers are more precious than fine jewels. A hug and a kiss from your little one that says, Mama, I love you, or Daddy, I love you, can bring satisfaction beyond measure. But never, not every parent gets to celebrate those things. And the same church that Bob and Stacy attend is another set of parents who have been called numerous times in the middle of the night to go pick up their child from the police station. They love their son no less than any of other of their children and no less than any other parent loves their child. They have tried their best to follow all of the experts' recommendations, but the cycle, the cycle of mental illness and depression and alcohol abuse continues to challenge their very best intentions. And the possibility of their son's self-destruction looms heavily over their heads every day. What if a child in whom, what, what if you have a child in whom it is difficult to take pride in or delight in? I'm not talking about the baseball through the window pane of the neighbor's yard or the terrible teen years or when boundaries get challenged and nerves get tested. What happens when a child's actions brings true shame to a parent's heart? Take, for example, the parents who courageously turned their own son into authorities after they realized that he was the sniper who had been terrorizing their city for several months. Or consider the plight of good parents whose children end up in prison or even on death row because of drugs and mental illness or other circumstances beyond their parental control. These days, nearly every parent live in fear about sending their child to school and them being a victim of school violence. But what if your child is the anxious, unhappy, bullied adolescent who does the shooting? These are a parent's worst nightmares. 
Sometimes, despite the best efforts of dedicated, diligent, and loving parents, the child just turns out making horrible decisions. Believe it or not, it's the strikingly close to the dilemma that rips at the very heart of God in today's passage from the prophet Hosea. When Israel was a child, I loved him, God pronounces, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more I called them, the more they went from me. Nearly every parent in this room can relate. One would think, um, don't, re- don't you remember saying to your child when they're playing out in the driveway, your little four-year-old riding the tricycle, don't go out into the street. And the first thing they do, whoop, they make a beeline right out into the road. You shall worship no other God but me, declares the Lord, as the first commandment he gives. Yet those Israelites kept sacrificing to the Baals and offering incense to their idols. Israel had abandoned their covenant with God. They turned their backs and lived in rebellion against God. It sounds so harsh, but I wonder... Are we any better than they were? We live in a world of self-reliance, and we work hard to fix our own problems, leaving God out of the equation. We practice our own ethical teachings until they become uncomfortable. Love, honor, and cherish sounds good on that wedding day, doesn't it? But something, or sometimes someone, better comes along. And don't we owe it to ourselves to be happy? We receive God's blessings and sometimes we may skimp on our own charity for others. We ask for God's mercy and protection, but when there's evidence of God's mercy and protection in our own lives, do we share our stories with others? After all, We don't really want to offend anyone, do we? We say to ourselves, at least I don't do fill in the blank. Or at least my child doesn't do fill in the blank. But thankfully, thankfully in this chapter, we see the prophet move from accusations and announcements of judgment to a beautiful picture of God's love for Israel. If you listen closely, you can sense the moments when God's tender mercy shines through. Other times we can sense God's anger and at other times God's heartbreak. And also you can sense when he is moved, showing his compassion and his mercy. The intimacy of the covenant relationship between God the Father and his children, Israel, illustrated in the first part of the book by the husband and wife, is now amplified as the father-child relationship. Hosea gives an image of God as a loving father who raised his son, Israel, and he shared everything with him. The son grew up and the son rebelled. The son turned his back on his father, 
taking advantage of God's every generosity. God's, but even still, God's love for his son, Israel, never wavered. Just as a parent continues to love that stubborn child or that child that they have to get from the police or that child that they have to visit behind a glass wall at the jail cell, so too did God love Israel. In fact, it is because of God's love for Israel that he could not release them from the consequences of their behavior. They were hypocrites, and they broke the Ten Commandments, and they treated each other terribly. They trusted in their own political alliances instead of trusting their God. They turned their backs on their Creator. And it may be easy for us to compare the story of Hosea and Gomer to the story of God and Israel, leaving ourselves out of the picture. Yet when we illuminate this book from a Christological, Christological lens, that's a big word, we can make a comparison to Christ and the church. And then we see that we, we are like Gomer and we are like those rebellious Israelites. Like Gomer and the rebellious children, we can chase after other loves, the love of power, the love of pleasure, the love of um, money, and even recognition. We put our trust in the political, one political party or another over God. The temptation in this world can be very seductive and very real. But thankfully... God, God had a plan. God used the prophets like Hosea to give us hope for salvation, to give those Israelites hope for salvation. God's plan all along was to heal their waywardness and to love them freely. God's plan all along was to heal us because God loves us. Even though Israel had to face their consequences, actually they were ultimately conquered by Assyria. But that was not God's final word. God would pour out his grace and healing power to repair the deep brokenness and selfishness of the human heart. Through God's parent-child relationship with his children, he would show us the unconditional love that he has for us, his children. God's love is complete without restrictions, without stipulation. It is just pure love, a love that embraces us. A love that embraces our children that have made bad decisions. You see, he, he took on flesh and blood, revealing God's self to us in the person of Jesus. God comes to woo us, to call us back. God comes among us in Jesus to love us and to claim us from our brokenness, our sin, and our shame that enslave us. 
God comes among us in Jesus to put those powers to death and by his own death on the cross. God comes among us and the resurrected Jesus to embrace us, to offer us peace and reconciliation, to join us to God's mission of drawing all, all God's creation into God's loving arms. Has your mama ever said to you, I brought you into this world and I can take you out? I've heard that, I think. But the truth is, God did bring us into the world and God could take us out. But instead, God takes us in and God wraps us in his loving embrace and God loves us forever and ever. Thanks be to God. Amen.